morning. Amen. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Starting to read at verse 6. John 4 and 6 says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Amen. Some of you are very familiar with this passage of Scripture. You've no doubt heard it preached before. I've preached it here multiple times, and I'm going to be preaching some things today that I have preached before. But the Word of God describes itself as being alive, as being powerful, as being inspired by God Himself. It is like no other book in that you can return to it time after time, even the same passages repeatedly, and God will speak to you. He will add to your understanding he will challenge you and He will transform you. And we, we need to remember, you know, those of you that minister the Word of God, it does not need our help. Our job is to declare it. The Word of God can take care of its business. Amen. And so with the help of the Lord this morning, my title comes from verse 15 and it is simply, Give me this water. Give me this water. In our text, Jesus is weary from travel stops at midday, sits upon, no doubt, there was a, a short wall or a raised area that surrounded Jacob's well. He was in a dry land. He was in a place and a time when a well was not a luxury. A well was a source of life. A well was a matter of life and death. We need to remember sometimes that 2,000 years ago, indoor plumbing was still a long way off. There were no taps, there were no showers and flush toilets. And so one of the many things that had to be done daily and usually was done by the women was as part of caring for their households daily at least once, they would come and draw water from the well. Water was needed, we know, from, for drinking, for cooking, and for cleaning and bathing and various other household tasks. But when Jesus arrived at the well at Sychar, the sun was high in the sky and the women who drew water had been and gone hours earlier in the day. They came in the cool of the day. It was much more pleasant. But then while Jesus gets comfortable on the well, 
a solitary figure appears and makes her way to the well where he's resting. The only reason a person would come to the well, the only reason a woman would come to the well in the middle of the day was to avoid contact with other people. In this woman's case particularly, she was wanting to probably avoid contact with other women. Each morning, not long after sunrise, I imagine it was a very busy place where the ladies came with their vessels, their, their pots, their vessels. They came to draw water from the well. They exchanged social greetings. They, they caught up with each other's news. It was the place where, as they took care of their daily responsibilities, they interacted. It was, it was a, kind of the social place. It was, you know, in 2023, it was a bit like checking social media in the morning. Or, or when you run into other parents, ladies, particularly at the school drop-off, and the ladies that would gather at the well would begin to have the usual kind of conversations of life of what's going on in your family and, and how are your children. And, you know, I heard that so-and-so in your family's been unwell. Are they okay now? And that usual kind of interaction. But as is the way with human nature, the conversation would have also included things like, did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe that they would do that? How can that person behave like that if my children ever did that? If my husband ever did that? You see, people have been the same as long as there have been people, with or without social media. All that social media really does is reveal what people are really like on a grand and international scale. Amen. Somebody said, and I think there's probably some fact in it, that social media has proven to us that the average intelligence of people is far less than we first assumed. You can be offended at that if you want to. That's okay. But because of all of this interaction, conversation that went on, this woman was trying to avoid all of that. As we read on in this chapter, you will see that she had a lot of shame that she felt. She was one of those people that was often the source of nasty gossip, people's comments of people's critical looks and glances and stares and raised eyebrows. It's, it's it's fascinating how a woman can communicate with her eyebrows. I don't understand the science behind that, but every married man in the building knows that a woman can communicate with her eyebrows. Amen? I thought I'd get one amen. You men are chickens. You don't want to say amen. That's, that's what the problem is. Amen. But this lady had suffered a lot at the hands of others, the opinions and the judgments and the criticisms of others. And so she was coming when she was confident that nobody else would be there. But then she notices Jesus is there, and then there's this awkward silence, and she begins to not make eye contact and begin the process of lowering the vessel down into the well to collect water. You know that, that awkward silence? You've ever found yourself in a place where you didn't know somebody? It's like when you get I, I fly quite a lot, and often you get on a plane, and you, I often, Lord, give me an empty seat beside me because... I'm not small, so an empty seat allows me a little bit of room. But sometimes there's a random stranger, most of the time it's a random stranger, unless it's my wife, that sits next to me. And if it's, particularly if it's a lady that I don't know that sits next to me, there's this, there's this kind of awkward silence where you try to be friendly without being creepy. And, and it's just, sometimes it's okay, sometimes it gets more awkward as the flight goes on. And, and I imagine because of both the fact that there, it was a man and a woman at the well, but also the cultural differences, there was this awkwardness about that situation. The disciples had gone, Jesus is there by himself, and now this woman who was trying to avoid interaction is finding herself at the well with this Jew. And then Jesus asks her for a drink of water. 
He asks her for a drink of water. And in response to his request, she is taken aback. And in verse 9, she said, how is it possible? How, why would you think being a Jew that you would ask of me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink of water? She said, our people have no dealings with each other. In fact, she said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It really was a Jewish issue because the Jews did not, they considered themselves to be of a certain class that was above those around about them. They really had kind of misunderstood that being the people of God didn't make them the elite. And we've got to be careful that we don't allow that to affect their attitudes as well. And her response to Jesus, her question was not a refusal. It wasn't that she didn't want to give him water, but she was amazed that he would even interact with her, that she would speak to, that he would speak to her and expect her to respond to him because they, the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. They're, the Samaritans, without going into a lot of history, were, were a mixed race of people. Some, some Jewish history with some of the other neighboring people groups around the place. And so there was cultural friction. There was also friction and difference between their belief systems as well. So this woman was shocked that Jesus would even speak to her. And in John 10, after her shocked response, it's John 4, sorry, verse 10, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you water that is alive. Amen. I I don't think Jesus was saying that she should know who he was. I don't think he was expecting her to understand who he was, but rather that if she did, it would change her whole view. Her whole perspective would be transformed if she understood who Jesus was. And the truth is that principle applied to everybody in the whole countryside. If they understood who he was, it would change their perspective. And so, you know, this this lady's like, "This, this is a very strange man. And she said, sir, you don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a, a pot. You don't have a vessel. You don't have anything to get the water out. And the water is deep. She's like, so from whence hast thou this living water? How are you going to give me this living water? The well is deep. And the word whence is an old English word that means from what place or from what source. It's a deeper question than just, you know, where's your bucket? But then Jesus said to her in verse 13, whoever drinks of the water of this well, we understand this concept that, If you drink this water, it will quench your thirst, but you'll get thirsty again. That thirst will return because that's how it works. He said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst. The water that I shall give them will be a well. It will spring up in them. It's it's not just going to quench thirst by being consumed, but it's going to be a source that's resident within them. He said it's going to be a spring that's going to come up from within them. And she was like, what in the world is he talking about? What you know? We, we, we read this in hindsight and we put all the scripture together and we understand it. But if somebody came up to you and you'd never heard this idea and said, I can give you living water, you'd be like, this sounds like a scam. This is one of those text messages. You know, this is a scam. And she was like, what are you talking about? Oh, I'll never thirst again. And And I'm only speculating because I don't have it, but I'm reasonably confident that even though she'd never met him before, as he began to talk to her because of who he was, because he was God manifest in the flesh, because the scripture says that the father gave him the spirit without measure. As he began to speak to her, something inside of her, something inside of her began 
to, to stir. There was, there was something, maybe it had been dormant for a very long time, but something inside of her, a, a thirst begin to come. What is this man? There's something about this man. There was a need that she was reminded of, of something that in her life that nothing had been able to satisfy. Nothing that she had been willing to try. And you know, the rea- we've got to be very careful before we judge people because sometimes the people that do the craziest things are the ones that are willing to try the hardest to find satisfaction. It's very easy to say, well, they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that. And that's a bad habit. And all those things might be accurate, but sometimes people are willing to act on their desperation more than others rather than just accept the emptiness of their lives. We understand how important water is, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to go into that today, but our bodies, are, our large percentage of our bodies is water. We need to continually drink. We, we're living in a society that's become obsessed with drinking water, with water bottles. You know how I know? Because I pick them up Sunday mornings when you all go home. That's how I know we're obsessed with water bottles. Take your water bottles home, please. There's a commercial break right in the middle. You know, when, when I was growing up, which is not that long ago, we never took a water bottle to school. We drank out of the tap, we drank out of the water fountain, we drank out of whatever water source there was. Now, if you haven't got a water bottle within five feet, you're going to collapse and die. That's kind of the society that we're living in. And water is important. We understand that. It, we need it in our blood and our organs and our brains. God has designed our bodies so that when these levels drop, it produces a thirst. We know that we have a need for water because without it, we begin to, to decrease in our function. We get dehydrated. You know, you can get irritable when you're dehydrated. Somebody, you mean to tell each other, go and have a glass of water. You get mentally and physically, your function begins to degenerate. Eventually, you, you get to the extremes of dehydration. You can experience seizures and even death. We understand that. And in verse 15 of John 4, still not really having a clue what Jesus was talking about, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water give me this water that i don't thirst again and i don't have to come back to this well to draw water she was willing something was stirred up in her she forgot about the fact that he was a jew and she was a samaritan and this was all socially awkward and improper and she said i want that water amen the lord you know when you're in the presence of jesus it has a way of making you aware of a thirst for something in your life Coming into the presence of God has a way of just, you know, even when, when people first come into a church where the, where the Holy Ghost moves and they don't necessarily understand there's just something. They can't explain it. They can't say, well, this and this and this and, and write your list of all the explanations. But there's something that begins to stir because he is our maker and he made us that way. Amen. There was just a nagging that was awakened in her soul that she wanted She didn't want to understand anymore. She just wanted the water. Amen. And Jesus said to her in verse 16, Go call your husband. Come back. And the woman said, I haven't got a husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast, well, you've told me the truth. You haven't got a husband because you've had five of them. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. He called her out. He exposed her fairly quickly. It's, it's like he, he shifted his focus. You ever, you know, it's almost like there should be some verses in there to connect those two ideas. It's like there's a connecting statement that's missing. Anybody ever been in a conversation where somebody's changed lanes and there's no connection? I'm just, I'm just going to leave that there. 
Amen. That's what it seems like in John 4. Jesus, Jesus is talking about living water. And he, if, you know, if you ask me, I'll give you this water. You'll never be thirsty. And she says, I want that water. He says, go get your husband. And now he's exposing her past. It's like, Lord, how do we get on this subject? How do we go from living water to exposing my failed marriages and my current bad situation? But the two are directly connected. Because Jesus was not being unkind, he was not being mean, he wasn't being nasty. But what he was doing was he was revealing that the sin in her life was directly connected to the thirst in her soul. That one was not separate from the other, but the two were the same. They were part of the same problem as he reveals her sinful state. He was saying the thirst in your soul and the sin in your life are inseparable parts of the same problem. He wasn't being nasty, but she needed to understand. She needed to understand that the thirst she felt in her heart was connected to her brokenness. In verse 19 of John 4, the woman said to him, Sir, I come to realize you're a prophet. Pretty perceptive. He's just laid out her past I've never met before. And then in verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Mount Gerizim was where the Samaritans worshipped. And you say that in Jerusalem, that's where the temple was, that's the place that we should worship. Her mood changed. She got a little bit defensive. And let's be honest, that's fair enough. You know, if somebody says, well, this is your past and these are all the things you've done wrong, how are you going to react? How am I going to respond? I might get a little bit protective as well. But see, when the condition of her heart was exposed, it produced a reaction. The reality is, and this is the biggest problem that every single breathing person has, is that her pride was affected. How dare he? He doesn't know my story. Who does he think he is? First, he's asking me for a drink of water. Now he's exposing my past. Who does this man think that he is? Who likes being told they're a sinner? Who likes being told you've done a whole lot of stuff wrong in your life? Not many of us. None of us, I'm pretty sure. Nobody likes being told their lives are a mess. And a little bit, to a certain degree, what she did was she got religious. That's what happened. She said, well, we go to church over here. You Jews go to church over there. Don't tell me how to, how to serve God. I've got my own church. I've got my own religion. You know, it's, you talk to people and you share the word of God and they say things like, well, my parents were filling the blank. My grandparents were filling the blank, whatever religion or faith of their choosing, and so I'm going to die a fill-in-the-blank. It's the power of tradition. It's the power of tradition. Amen. Suddenly, there's, there's, a, there's an imbalance. Suddenly, for this lady to accept the living water, she's also got to acknowledge that she's got sin as well. Pride. She had a form of religion. That had, she knew where she was supposed to go to church, but she had nothing that was satisfying the thirst in her heart. Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 25, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. You see, empty religious tradition is just the outward display of godliness. 
It's, it's, it's trying to be a good person. It's trying to say the right thing and do the right thing. And all those things matter. The, the Bible teaches us that we should say the right thing and do the right thing. But if, if nothing's going on inside, if nothing's going on inside, then all the polish on the outside is pointless. If there's no transformation inside the cup, then you can, you can shine that thing on the outside too. You can see your own reflection. But Jesus said, let's deal with what's inside the cup first because then that will affect what's on the outside as well. You see, most, if not all, sin has its roots in pride. The devil initiated sinful pride when he desired to exalt himself above the Lord. And from there, sin progressed to have many different forms and types. But sin is its rootstock. Pride, in its most simplest form, is mankind deciding that he knows better than God, that his opinions matter more than the word of God, that his preferences, that what he chooses to worship, that God is demoted. Pride is at the root of all of that. And pride, pride is often the main factor for our sin. Pride is often the thing that separates us from God. But pride is very often the thing that stops us responding to God as well. Because like this woman, that requires some acknowledging of the condition that we are in. Amen. When God speaks to us through preaching, through somebody sharing their testimony with us, it, it, it causes us to feel that thirst like this woman did. We may not have even known that it was there, but, but it, it requires, it's, sometimes it's awkward to admit that we need Jesus. To put your hand up and say, yeah, I think I've made a big mess of my life. I think I'm one of those sinners that this book is talking about, and I, I need somebody to save me. Amen. Psalm 73 and verse 6 says, Therefore pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. That, that chain is not just about being bound by pride, but it's talking about an ornament as well. It's about how we look. It's about looking pretty and impressive. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17 says, When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician or the doctor. But they that are sick, he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The issue is the, ne- is the understanding that we need the doctor. That's the issue. Sin is the biggest epidemic that this world has ever seen. As much as the media won't cover it, it's worse than COVID was. <laughs> because everybody's got it. Sin is so powerful, you catch it before you're born. You're not a sinner before you're born, but you come ready to go. You come ready to sin. It's in human nature from the very beginning. Amen. That's how bad it is. Amen. Repentance is the beginning of the healing process for the sickness of sin. And to repent, pride must be confronted. It must be confronted. We cannot just say, well, Lord, I'd like the benefits, but I don't want the treatment. You've got to have the whole package from the Lord. We read in the scriptures a story about a religious man, a man who was pretty impressed with himself, who the Bible says he stood in a very public place so that people could watch him pray. And he didn't put his head down and pray very quietly just so that only God could hear him. If he had had one of these back then, he probably would have used it. But he stood in with his head lifted in a loud voice. He said, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that miserable sinner over there on his knees. He basically said, God, you're actually blessed to have me. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. He was so full of himself, but the Bible says that just 
a short distance away, there's a sinner who is convicted of his sin, who the Bible says he's, he's smiting himself. He's saying, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And you know very easily which one the Lord responded to. Amen. The man that acknowledged his condition. You see, when we will humble ourselves and we will take our pride and break it and say, God, I need you. God runs to us when we do that. When we're willing to say, Lord, I've made a mess. I've screwed everything up. God runs to us. But when we're convinced of our own greatness and we don't need the Lord, the scripture says he resists the prayer. That's a, to me, that's an amazing concept to be resisted by God. You know, just imagine trying to push against God and he's holding you back. Amen. Pride has got to be confronted. We go back to John chapter 4. After this woman's got a bit religious and in verse 21, Jesus says unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is come when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem. He's saying it's not about where you are. It's not about your location. He said, but you worship the Father. And then in verse 22, again, very bluntly, he said, you worship, you know not what. Again, he's, he's not being harsh. He's just saying you don't even know who you worship. There's not a relationship there. He said, we know who we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And then there's the verse from the lesson this morning. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said there is a true worship, not this false religion, not this going through ceremony and ritual. He said, but there's something powerful that happens when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. And he said, right now you don't know that yet. But he wanted her to have the opportunity. Verse 25, the woman says unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He made it pretty plain. So, you know, it's easy sometimes to read this passage. And when you think, when you read of Jesus confronting her about her sin and then telling her that she didn't even know who she worshipped, all of that can, seems hard, can seem harsh, but the goal, Jesus' goal the whole time was that he would reveal himself to her, was that he would be able to say, I'm the one that can give you the living water. I'm the Messiah that's already come to be your Savior. Amen. And then in verse 28, it says, The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men. And before we read verse 29, she left the old vessel behind. You know, you've got to remember, most of these things they had to make or someone had to make for them. You couldn't just whiz down the road to Big W or Kmart and pick up half a dozen blue buckets. It wasn't something, you didn't just leave your vessel behind. But there was something symbolic there about that natural thirst was, was fading. She didn't, that wasn't the priority anymore. And sometimes if you're going to get what God wants you to have, you have to let go of something before you can take hold of something else. And this woman ran back into town. I don't know how far it was, but in verse 29, she said, Come see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? This woman, remember the setting. She's coming out in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to see anybody. 
because of her reputation, because everybody in town knows how many husbands she's had. Everybody knows that she's in what is a questionable moral situation. Everybody knows that she runs into town and excitedly tells everybody that there's a man she's met that's told her everything she ever did. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But something had woken up in her heart. And obviously it made an impact on the men in the city because they went out of the city and they came to Jesus. She didn't care if they mocked her anymore. She wasn't worried about reputation anymore. She was like, there's something about this man. Her pride didn't matter anymore. She said, you've got to come and see this man. And in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans came out on him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And they said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, because we heard him for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Hallelujah. It is awesome when we tell somebody about Jesus. But you've got to hear Jesus for yourself. You've got to hear Jesus for yourself. I've got to hear him speak to my heart. Amen. We've, we've got to have the water. Amen. We, have, we, we talked about it this morning. There isn't another option. In the natural, if we don't have water, you can go without food for an incredible amount of time. But without water, you begin to expire very, very quickly. And it's very much the same in the spiritual realm. We've got to have the Spirit of God. We've got to have the Holy Ghost. We've got to have that living water that he's promised. Amen. We live in a dry continent. We live in a nation where a very high percentage of our population lives on the coast because there's not a lot of water inland. It's a dry, dusty place. And it reminds me of Psalm 63 and 1, which says a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. We have been created naturally that we cannot exist without water. Our bodies were created that we cannot live without water. In the, in the spiritual, we've been created as well that we cannot live without his spirit. We cannot have real life without living water. Amen. We've got to have it if we're going to survive. Amen. Natural thirst after a while can produce thinking and behavior that is strange and is a product of an unsatisfied desire. Each of us has a thirst in our souls. Each of us is made with a thirst in our souls. Somebody described it to me the other day in more modern languages, the God chip. There's that part of us that only God can connect with. And that is why so many people are trying desperately to find satisfaction. Because there is a thirst in our souls that there is only one substance that can satisfy. There are things in this world that bring pleasure. There are things that bring distraction, but they are short-term, and they generally come with worse consequences. But the Spirit of God is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. To be filled with the Holy Ghost is to really find the purpose for your creation, that you were made to be a vessel for the Spirit of God. This woman at the well, 
is an example of this desperation. We don't know her past. We don't know what caused her to turn to a life of broken marriages and relationships. And we would be very unwise to be quick to condemn her. But we can probably assume that her opinion of herself was pretty poor. She probably didn't think very highly of herself and the opinions of everybody around her probably only underlined that low self-view. She could not find the answer until she met Jesus. Until she met Jesus. Just a few verses or rather a few chapters later in John chapter 7 and we read this earlier today. Verse 37 of John 7 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Again, when God gives it to us, it becomes a source within us. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. If you know what it's... Nothing in the Scriptures by accident. So when it says the last day of the feast, when you study that out, it's a week-long feast. A week-long feast and celebration. Nobody was hungry. Nobody was thirsty. Now, it's a bit like Christmas. At Christmas, you have Christmas lunch or Christmas dinner. And what do you do for the next couple of days? You keep eating. You don't actually ever get hungry, but you keep eating. It's just like the food's all there and you just, what am I doing? Because you're not hungry for several days unless you're a very disciplined and controlled person. And so when Jesus stood on the last day of a feast and said, is anybody thirsty? In the natural, it seemed an absurd question. Everybody had been eating and drinking for days. But he spoke to a thirst that was in people's hearts. He spoke to a thirst that was in their souls that no amount of fancy food or fancy beverages could satisfy. He spoke about the Holy Ghost. He spoke about His Spirit. He spoke about the living water. And the question, the the invitation began with the word, if, if any man thirst. If you're thirsty. He said, if you're not thirsty, keep on moving. But if you're thirsty, he said, you can come to me. And I can give you living water. He said, if you're not sick, you don't need the doctor. Just keep going on your way. But if you know that you're sick, the doctor is in the house. If you're thirsty, he said, there's living water for your soul. Everybody needs it. But not everybody admits that they're thirsty. One of the biggest reasons is pride. Amen. John told us. In chapter 7 that we just read from, the Holy Ghost was not yet available at that point because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does that mean? It means that because he had not been crucified, buried, and risen again, it was necessary for him to pay the price for sin, to defeat death, hell, and the grave, for us to have access to the promise of the Father, for us to have access to that living water. He had to deal with the sin issue. Just like the woman at the well, he said, yes, I want to give you living water, but you've got some things we've got to sort out first. You've got a past that we need to deal with. You've got some stains on your account that we need to take care of. Now, he could not take care of that right then and there because Calvary had not yet happened. But when you read the book of Acts 
and you get to chapter 8 of the book of Acts, the Bible says that Philip went down to Samaria. And he preached Christ to them. He preached this gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the same place where this woman was from. And the Bible says the whole place heard the gospel. And they repented and they were baptized in Jesus' name. And then Peter and John, the apostles, the elders, came down from Jerusalem to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. I do not have it in the Scripture. But I'm reasonably confident that one of the first people to step forward that day was a woman that met Jesus at the well. He said this is what he was talking about. This is what that man was talking about a couple of years ago, maybe two or three. I don't know how long it was, but she said this is what he was talking about. And she stepped out in faith and Peter or John prayed for her and she was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And then she said, now I understand. Now I understand what he was talking about. There's a well springing up in my soul that's satisfying a thirst that nothing else, no bad marriage, no good marriage, no average marriage, none of those things could satisfy my thirst. But this living water. What are we thirsty for today? Stand with me if you would this morning. Cass, if you'll come to the piano, please. In the course of my life, I've seen a lot of people filled with the Holy Ghost. Not not that has anything to do with me. I'm just saying from experience. And I've seen a lot of people that I wanted to see filled with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) But the thirst has got to come from inside of us. There's got to be that God, I've got to have it. That woman didn't care about her reputation anymore. Didn't care who knew, who, who said anything, who whatever. She ran back into town and said, come see a man. Told me everything that I ever did. Come see a man. But part of that process also was the water pot that she left behind. There are things we have to leave behind if we're going to get what God wants us to have. There are things we have to surrender to him. Because there are things that we have in our lives sometimes that get in the way of what God is trying to do. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's unforgiveness. Sometimes it's fear. Fear can paralyze. The the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. If we will let God love us, he can cast fear out. But the question that Jesus asked in John 7, he's still asking today, is anybody thirsty? Does anybody want the living water? Are we satisfied with the natural and the things of this life? Or do we want that satisfaction in our souls? Bless the Lord. Let's just stand in His presence for a moment. Let's just allow the Holy Ghost to move on us. Thank you, Jesus.